it was suddenly realising that I was working what felt like almost every evening and every weekend and I had a, a queue of people who were asking for the kind of support that I was giving. You know, a lot of restaurateurs have never had that kind of support. Be prepared for the loneliness. And the next day you've, um, you've bought yourself a laptop and you're sitting in the Groucho Club on your own going, now I run a company. Trying to get meetings or convince people to come and meet you is, is one hell of a shift. And we've got one in Soho, one in Brixton, and one at the BBC Television Centre. So that's been a really, a really nice journey. And I think you just you learn the people that you trust and work work well with. Our eating habits are changing. We're demanding better dining experiences, and the food market has never been so competitive. Starting and succeeding with a food business is challenging, but some determined and passionate entrepreneurs are flourishing. These people have big dreams, big passion, and big drive. They are disruptors, change makers, and innovators. They see a positive future. Many say that food business is too risky. Some say that it has huge rewards. Are you up for the challenge? This is Food Motion. I am Peter Farrell. My guest today is Chris Miller, the founder and director of White Rabbit Fund, which was founded in 2016 to provide both financial and general support to up and coming restaurant concepts. You're very welcome, Chris. Hi, lovely to meet you. Thank you. So it'd be great to start, I suppose, we're here now in Lena Stores in King's Cross. It's your newest edition the of the portfolio. It, it opened uh, yeah. about five days ago. Amazing. Okay. So it's very new. Okay. And how, I guess, did you decide to go with this location? Because you're a little bit, I guess, off the beaten track to an extent, you're on the edge of Cold Drops Yard here. So what attracted you to this specific location? Well, there's, there's been a huge growth in King's Cross over the last, over the last few years. Um, this is definitely a bit of a walk from the uh, from the station, but there is a mass of new developments going on around here, and a a, a massive, a huge density of people. Um, so yeah, I, I think Kings Cross is a is a great location. Opposite us, we've got uh, the new Facebook European headquarters going up. Okay. We've got uh, there's about four or five Google buildings. Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's and also it's. It's the last heritage building they had left in this in this area. So we're okay. in an old transit shed. So it sort of it fitted nicely with the the Lena Stores brand, which has been such a you know it started in 1944. So it's a proper old heritage brand. Okay, very good. So you choose it, I guess, with, with one eye in the future and looking at kind of development opportunities in the future. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm quite I'm still quite old school when it comes to finding properties in the sense of. I will walk the area regularly. So I'm looking at some other sites for, and, you know, I'll go breakfast, lunch, dinner a few times um, and just stand outside and, and literally count people. Wow. Uh, I, you know, ultimately, you've got to have walked the streets 
to really understand where people are going and are you on the right side of the road and yeah and how people use that area at different times of the day okay very um, good i still think that yeah 50 percent of this is still a property game so it's it's very important to be out there walking the streets sure and how has trade been over the, the, the first couple of weeks and uh, what's the feedback been like uh phenomenal we are we are quite considerably ahead of ahead of where i thought we would be right at the start you know i thought it was going to take a little bit of time for people to find us um but yeah we're we're rapidly looking for more for more staff at the moment okay um, like, like a, a lot sign. of the industry i suppose yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay and do you think that um i guess the initial popularity is because of the the brand has been built up already or is it because of something new in the area or what's contributing to the, the initial success of it well, do you know what L lena stores is is such a loved um historic brand and it's always stood for um you know, incredible quality Italian food, and and the deli has been has been importing Italian food um, for seventy five years now, um, and and there's a there's a simplicity and honesty to the food that they do. It, it's 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 the the ingredients are um, you know there's there's not that many that go into dishes, but it's using the best quality. Sure. Um, so. You know, there's, there's certain brands where there's something very special about it and with, with Lena when we got involved it had been around for so many years that, that you know, I wasn't doing anything really that smart by, by backing the growth of it because clearly there was something that has resonated over many decades um, of, of you know, something that people really love which is simple Italian food done, done well. Okay, very good. Um, so it'd be great to get into your background personally and I guess your passion for food, like sure. where did it develop from? Is it like a specific point in your life? Or has it just grown over the years from working in the sector? Or um, where does your love of food come from? I mean, the, the, the starting point is I'm, I'm not a natural foodie. Um, I, I sort of learned it. I was a bit of a weird child and I was, uh, I was more obsessed with how to, how to grow businesses and how to make successful businesses. So before my first ever business studies, this is, shows how incredibly sad I am, my first business studies lesson, I'd read the entire textbook. Um, but then what I, what I found in my, I was in private equity for multiple years before. Um, and in my time there, it was learning about growing businesses. And then when I started to find food and I joined Sower House, it was an area I was fascinated by, but actually I had to go and learn. And so I, went, I go on these very, um, very intense sort of eating tours. So I'll eat at six or seven restaurants a day in different cities around the world to try and learn more about the, the new, interesting, upcoming trends and things. Okay. Um, but I, I don't have the most incredible palates. But for what I do, I don't think that's such a bad thing. Because from an investment point of view, if I was, if I was totally obsessive about um, uh, you know, fancy food and Michelin star food, that's all you'd, you'd back. And actually some of the most, the most successful businesses, it's about simplicity and good quality and good hospitality, but it doesn't have to be Michelin star all the time. Sure, interesting. Um, it's interesting you mentioned about your palate. That you say you haven't got a natural good palate. Have you seen that develop over time from eating out in all these places? I've definitely learned a lot more, but that, that's it. You know, I, I have within the team incredibly talented culinary director and incredibly talented operations director. They can 
taste food and, and know every single aspect that's that's in it. Okay. But interestingly, I often go to tastings as the average Joe, and so I'll taste something. And go, you know, I've eaten at some of the best restaurants in the world, and one of my favourite restaurants is still Nando's. Okay. I would put that in my top ten quite happily. But actually, I think you can be you can be too pretentious about food, and you can be too um, too fluffy and too over the top. So, you know, we definitely have really obsessive foodies, and but it be in those right roles where they need to be. Sure, sure. And my my love has always been how do you make successful businesses, and I think the food world rarely had that applied to it. In, and by that what I mean is you either um, the two people who open restaurants it's either a chef who is totally obsessed with food but maybe hasn't um, had the business experience and the, the day-to-day disasters of actually launching a business and the finance and the operations or it's an ex-investment banker who um, maybe has made a few million pounds and wants to uh, wants to go off and do something creative but lacks the the, the, lacks the creativity or lacks the obsession with detail that's required. Sure. So I had this nice experience in between the two worlds, working in private equity and then um, and then at Soho House, having that, uh, seeing the real difficulties and challenges of, of opening restaurants. Sure, makes sense. I've been in a lot of tastings myself. And mm. like, a lot of the time, I felt there was a the subjectivity, like especially the chefs. Probably it's, it's their opinion of, of what yes. good quality food is. I guess, I guess your advantage as well is that you're customer-centric, so you're looking at it and tasting from a customer's point of view, exactly. which is what the business is all about. Yes, person. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so no, I think it's, it's, it, you know, it's about building the right team of people who, who obsess about their own little, their own areas. Sure. Um, Very good. Very good. Yeah. And you mentioned Soho House, so you worked with Nick Jones for quite a while. I did. Him, very, I did. very closely to him. Great yeah. experience, I'm sure. Well, I was, I was commercial director for the group for about four and a half years. Okay, yeah. very good. And then I guess what inspired you to start White Rabbit Fund, um, following on from that experience? Sure. Or whilst well, you were there, you were thinking about starting White Rabbit Fund. Yes, well, yeah. I am. Um, so I was, I was working with Soho House, opening clubs and restaurants, or working on the opening of clubs and restaurants around the world. Um, and then with, uh, essentially it started as a, a little side project where I would help early stage restaurants do the boring stuff. So I would work on financials or operations or um, you know, a debt raise pack, um, just because I was fascinated by the industry. And it all really started with um, a restaurant called Meat Liquor, you know, the burger, yep. burger restaurant. So I helped them out a little bit on the side and then they started introducing me to a few other people within the industry. And so on the side, of, I had my day job at Soho House and on the, on the side, my weekends and, and sure. evenings were spent. Moonlighting. Moonlighting, yeah. essentially. Sure. But that business got so busy, there was this very clear demand for that process and structure behind chefs. Um, that I spun off and um, the only other thing they always wanted was money so so I raised a raised a fund um, and then went off on a on an eating tour to eat at as many places as I physically could before I found the first investment okay and I guess at what stage did you decide then to take this full-time and to, to leave some house and to, to, oh, to build white rabbit fund that's a good question it's there been... a moment or something that kind of gave you some optimism or 
do you know what it was? It was, it was suddenly realising that I was working what felt like almost every evening and every weekend and I had a, a queue of people who were asking for the kind of support that I was giving. Um, because I come from the, the private equity finance world, chefs never had, or, you know, a lot of restaurateurs have never had that kind of support um, in building financial models and budgeting and forecasting. Um, and yeah, there was there was just such a huge demand for it that I thought, well, clearly there's there's something in this. Yeah. Um, and then it was it was really about building up my investment model for for White Rabbit uh, before roadshowing that and and raising the fund. Okay, so it seems like it was quite a smooth transition, I guess, from from employment life into into your own fund. What, what challenges did you encounter, and how did you over? Those, one of my, um, if any. <laughs> well, one of my, my business mentors, he, uh, uh, he gave me a great bit of advice before I started, is, is, which, which sounds a bit dramatic, but be prepared for the loneliness, in the mm. sense of, you come from commercial director of Soa House, which is obviously a huge globally recognised brand, and the next day you've, um, you've bought yourself a laptop and you're sitting in the Groucho Club on your own going, now I run a company. Yeah. Um, and you don't have you know, any gravitas behind who that, who that company is. And so you know, just trying to get meetings or convince people to come and meet you is, is one hell of a shift. Really? So those early, those early few months, um, uh, you know, starting out not without a brand behind you was a, was a challenge. Okay. Um, and how did you deal with the loneliness? Because I, I heard that's quite common <laughs> that, as well. That, I mean, it sounds it a little bit dramatic. No, was, but, uh, do you know what? I think, I think you, have to have, you have to have this sort of set of this grand vision of where you want to get to and all the... Um, I do every single year, I sit down in January and I build a kind of a year-long plan. And you will always get many ups and downs starting a business and there are so many day-to-day -day disasters and... And actually, the more, the bigger you get, and the more successful you get. If you're at the top of that, when things are going well, people don't need you. They need you when there's disasters. So it sure. becomes more that way. Um, but as long as you have a uh, a very clear plan um, of where you want to go that year, or you know, even over the next few months, it, it just it's something to keep coming back to. That you go, yeah, these are the ups and downs, but. Okay. I'm hitting the stages and it will get me to sure. the grand plan of where sure. I want to be. So it's, it's almost like this is the reason why I'm doing it, so that, that's pushing you forward. Correct. Yeah. Building that, um, yeah, you have to have a, a pretty clear vision. I can, I guarantee it changes, you know, every, every couple of months. Sure. My, the plan I wrote in January will have, will have shifted. But you've got to start with a clear thing you're aiming for. Okay. Otherwise, you can get lost in the minutiae of, of the day-to-day -day ups and downs that, that happen in any startup business. Okay. So, cricket was your first concept. You it was. It in. Um, I guess what attracted you to them, um, and why choose those as, as your first concept? Sure. Well, I'd, I'd been. Uh, uh, I, I'd written a list of about 250 concepts, and I. Um, uh, I was slowly eating my way through all of them and actually the, the first investment I've, I've got to say there was nothing really that clever on on my part 
I turned up and it was two guys in a shipping container cooking Indian food with a two, two and a half hour queue outside it. And so before you even get in there, you can tell what they're doing from this real rickety old shipping container was something very special. Um, and so then the next thing is really meeting them and spending time with them and understanding that they, you know, they really had the drive and the passion and the, and the skill set to turn it into a successful business. So, uh, yeah, that was the, the first September um, in 2016. And uh, we are now on, we've got one in Soho, one in Brixton and one at the BBC Television Centre. So that's been a really, a really nice journey. Uh, and those guys... Yeah, they've been a phenomenal team to grow that business. Okay, very good. So now you have four concepts in the portfolio. So you've mm -hmm. got Kim's, Island Poke, Nina Stores and Cricket, obviously. Um, how do you continue, you said you're going out and looking at locations and mm. I guess you're considering different concepts. How do you continue to find a pipeline of new exciting concepts that have potential to grow as well? Um, I'm in a really lucky position now where I, I get a lot of people approaching me. Um, yeah, from, from back in the day where I used to go, I went to every street food market and um, uh, yeah, we get two, three, four a week now being, being sent to me. Um, I actually think now the real inspiration comes from traveling and um, I will uh, absolutely, I'll set up a trip. Last year I did um, New York, Miami and Mexico. Uh, where exactly I, I will eat at six or seven different restaurants a day and try and get new new ideas and and actually it's so incredibly powerful to uh, when we go on trips there will be things that we find that um, will end up in a restaurant somewhere down the line and I build these quite big selections of, of photos from around the world um, you know, things like the chairs that you will have walked past on, on the way in here, that is a design that we found in a restaurant in Milan um, that we've taken the original design. It's sort of these, these love seats that turn into you so you can sit and stare out to the world. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's actually from a, a Wes Anderson cafe in, uh, in Milan. Okay. Um, yeah, it's little things like that. You'll take a photo and go, actually, in a year's time, that will be somewhere in a restaurant. So, okay. yeah. so how do you organize all of that content, I suppose, all of your photos? And I guess you're writing down ideas as well? Uh, uh, just, not just, as well as I should be. Okay. <laughs> but it's just big folders of kind of inspiration sure. images. Um, actually, I have, uh, yeah, it's, it's a small little tip, but I use, I use OneNote and I have every single concept has its own section and it's filled with photos and notes. And Interesting. I've had many different learnings as to how, over the last three and a half years, how I've had to organize my days. Okay. Um, yes, it's, it's, that's been some of the challenges, but I'm pretty comfortable with my, my okay. routine now. Very good. And you mentioned, um, I guess, how you chose this location, but how are you actively going about finding new locations? Are you working with agents or is it just yourself walking the streets? Or are you pinpointing certain locations within suburbs or central London? Yeah, I mean, we, for, for each of the brands, um, we have a clear idea of where we think the brand would work and, and um, the opportunities. But uh, I've also I've spent a lot of time, I don't know most of the major landlords in London, um, 
we work with with all of the key agents as well um, and I think you just you learn the people that you trust and work work well with um, it's an interesting it's a it's a uh, an interesting game the, the restaurant uh, agency game but there's there's three or four in London who really are the ones who know everyone and and you really trust. Um, so yeah, we work work with all of them. Okay, great. And um, what is um, your plan then for the, the four concepts you have now and the four brands? Do you see them all growing at a similar rate or the different no. plans per concept? I mean, they're all they're all incredibly unique. Um, you know, we have Indian, Chinese, Italian, and Hawaiian. Um, some can grow faster than than others. Uh, the nice thing is we are not we're not set up like a typical private equity fund. I don't have this sort of very strict. You've got to roll out ten restaurants a year, twenty restaurants a year, and in fact, I think that's the quickest way to kill a brand. And we've seen a lot of that in in the market. Um, I, I think um, what we what we're able to do is each brand can. If you open one a year of each of them, some will go quicker, like Island Poke. You know that is a, a casual, easy to expand brand, and some will go a lot slower, like like Cricket, um, which is you know, it's a bit more of a complex restaurant. So they will grow at at different different rates, definitely. Okay, and I guess do you have a, a longer term vision for White Rabbit? Let's say five, ten years. Uh, what does that look like? Yes, well, yeah. uh, so White Rabbit is, um, it started out as a typical investment fund um, and, and the idea was, was that you would have an exit in three to five years and what we're finding is there's a, there's a real value to having a diversified hospitality platform where you have um, a real senior skill set of operations, culinary director, finance, legal etc. And what it allows you to do is expand different brands in different ways. Um, so that we'll, we'll continue to grow it. Might we sell one or two of the brands in the future when they get to the right stage, if that's the right thing to do? Um, yes, very possibly. But it's not a strict, you know, I have to exit in, in X number of years. Sure. Um, but actually, look, we, there's definitely potential to create new ideas in-house and um, continue to grow the existing brands. Okay. Um, it'd be great to dig into, um, I guess, your process for choosing investments uh, sure. and partners. Um, so, I guess, what gets you excited if somebody's sending you a pitch deck or an executive summary? What is the thing grabbing your attention and what is going to get you excited to request a meeting? Um, the first thing that's always really important is to see some proof of it working. Um, that doesn't mean they have to have an, an already operating restaurant, but there are there are so many opportunities now to do to do you know um, dining clubs or pop ups or um, street food markets or to try out your your concept. And then say, and people really liked our food, or we, we had a queue and we made X amount of money. Now, it doesn't have to be this hugely profitable business. In fact, cricket, when I first met them, 23 seats where the kitchen was half the size of the restaurant, you're never really going to make great money from that. Um, but actually it's seeing that there was a queue, that there was this massive interest in what they were doing. That was what made me think, okay, these guys have, have got something interesting here. Okay. So, so some proof and then 
ultimately it, it then comes down to it's, it's got to be a, a unique, unique concept where they are totally obsessive about the product um, if, and the reason for that is my job is process structure supporting growth of a business the people we're backing have to be totally obsessed about the food quality itself. We can support on that, and we have, as I say, culinary directors and operations directors, but um, the most important thing, it's got to start from, from them being totally obsessed with that food. Okay. And what are you looking for then in an executive summary? So what are the highlights you're looking for? Um, you need to understand the team. And, and what they've done, and that they've, um, uh, you know, I think, I think if someone, I, I had someone come to me a little while ago and say they wanted to open a, a sushi restaurant fully staffed by robots, and um, you know they'd never opened a restaurant and they'd never, um, uh, uh, they'd never built a robot before. But you know what? They came back to me a year later and said we've built a robot and um, uh, come and try it out and. Uh, I went off to actually see it and now we're doing some work with them for one of the brands. Um, uh, you know, I think it's important, you've got to have the right team in place and where there are weaknesses that they've, they've got board members who um, cover those, those weaknesses. Sure. Um, uh, are you looking at financials like in detail at that stage or just not, not really. headline figures? Um, now I differ to some, some investors. Because I have the finance background and I've, I've worked on opening enough restaurants around the world now that I can, it, it, it's good for them absolutely to have done some work on financials and had a crack at understanding what their cost of sales are and roughly how they would staff it. And, um, but, but you don't have to send me a, um, you know, a 30 meg financial model with all sync, definitely not at the start. Mm. I'm actually more interested to know, you know, what are your cost of sales on that? And then we can do the maths ourselves and go, okay, yeah, this is a viable business. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I get really more excited about the concept and the people first, because that's what customers will buy into. And then after that, I, I get into the financials and the legals and the rest of it. Sure, makes sense. Okay, um, so you mentioned you have a central team as well within White Rabbit. Yes. I guess I've worked in businesses where there's different styles of concepts, different styles of service and operational mm. models as well. Um, how do you maintain consistencies and get efficiencies from that central team, but with different styles of concept? Is that, is that a challenge or they just adopt? Uh, yes, absolutely. Well, the, the way we work is it's more like a task force. So what we will do is we will um, go in behind a, a founder team and support them on setting up all of the processes and um, but actually a lot of those processes but the, the aim is to then make ourselves as redundant as possible as quickly as possible so we can go on and do do the next thing but what you find is a lot of those processes are um, it's best practice across all sites it's it's health and safety it's um, you know Good HR practices. It's um, you know, good EPOS systems and, and financial tracking. And actually, if you're a, an Italian restaurant or a Chinese restaurant, or a, 
there's a lot of similarities between the best practice of the structure that goes behind it. Mm. What differs in each one is um, is the food itself, and and that we have you know specialists in each area. So you have Andrew Wong, who's a um, he is a Michelin star Chinese chef, and we have Will Bowley from from Cricket, who is the most phenomenal Indian chef and has travelled across India learning his, his craft. And then what we try and do is support behind him with a, um, a culinary team of just how do, you, how do you get an incredibly creative dish and then do 300 of them in a day. That's, that's the real challenge. Okay. And how do you find, I guess yourself personally as well, mm. of finding the balance between, I guess, getting involved and giving advice and support, but then giving the management team and I guess the founders to yeah. extent a level of autonomy that makes them feel like they have the power and they're in control to, to an extent. Yeah. I guess it's a tricky balance to find. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we are not, um, there are other places you can go to and just get money. Mm. Um, you know, my, my involvement is, um, and our team's involvement is where they are actually looking for support and some handholding. Um, so it's definitely a, a balancing act. I actually, there should be a little bit of, of friction and challenges. Um, uh, and actually, I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment called uh, Rebel Ideas, which is all about getting a team of people with totally different experiences in one room to, to fight it out a bit. And actually, if if I won every argument and just focused on process and finance, my God, would that restaurant fail? Because mm. it would be incredibly boring. Mm. Um, but equally, if you had a, um, a Michelin star chef just doing everything, you sometimes don't get a, a very uh, successful business restaurant. And so it's always a balancing act. There's always um, you know, trade-offs, but hopefully, at the end of that, you get a really interesting, exciting project that also makes money, interesting. which is important. <laughs> you know, that's ultimately you want to be able to provide an amazing experience and amazing food, but you've also got to make money because you've got to stay open if you're going to continue to provide that. It's got to be sustainable. Exactly. So obviously with the closure of high profile restaurants, uh, particularly in the mid-market sector, getting into the mainstream press. Presumably now, I guess mainstream investors are becoming a little bit nervous and uh, shying away from investing in this sector. Yeah. So, are you noticing that in, in your circles? Yeah, I think absolutely. The the more generalist funds who do look at a number of different industries, they are absolutely nervous about the industry and pu pulling back. There are a number of more sector specific um, groups who have seen this all before, and they are they are definitely still investing. The likes of Trispan and Imbiba um, and, and myself but actually I, I raised a bit of debt recently um, and speaking to the banks they, they all have the same questions of why should we be lending to you now and I looked back at the press cuttings in the restaurant world from uh, the last few recessions and it was the same stories it was the same oh this is all a disaster and um, uh, but actually the, the, the groups that invested during that downturn and really started to expand, they were the ones that on the other side 
and this is you know like any recession it's it's um, it's it's cyclical they were the ones that got sold for really big numbers on the other side of that okay. so actually I'm you know I, I don't see it as a bad thing if other people are shying away now because um, it takes pressure off um, property it takes pressure off uh, off the growth plan of the, the previous oversupply so yeah we're um, there's definitely a shying away but it provides again more opportunities okay. for, for investors now. very good and what are your thoughts on crowdfunding as a source of financing restaurants in particular um, I have very mixed opinions on that um, I it can be incredibly successful and there are there are great um, brands that have successfully opened really interesting sites. There are also deals that have got away that are bordering um, on criminal, and I don't shy away from using that as or they should be. Um, uh, some of the valuations people have gone and raised money at. Um, in this world, restaurants are sold between a certain range six to 15 times EBITDA depending on where you are um, some of the raises investors will never make their money back it doesn't matter how well it performs um, and so yeah I, I think the the crowdfunding section really needs some some regulation it needs um, uh, there needs to be more protections things like high yield bond issues at a small restaurant level um, uh, without mentioning any names there was there was one bond which you're taking uh, limited upside and, and but on equity risk which is is nuts some of the structures that have been coming out so uh, it can be very successful, it can be very useful, very wary for the people who invest that it's got to be a sensible number and it's, you know, this is a, you've got to know the restaurant industry to really understand what's going to work and what's not. Okay, and something that's become quite common now and it's, it's, a, it's a, I guess, a low cost way of entering this industry and growing an industry mm. is food halls. So yes. you've seen a massive growth in food halls in London in particular. I think there's about across the UK. I think there's about 300 of them under construction across Europe <laughs> now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's a there's a lot. Crazy. So um, I guess what are your thoughts of that side of the sector? Mm. Uh, would you see yourself either trading in there or, mm -hmm. or having a food hall within White Rabbit? Well, uh, I've looked at the market. I, I like it. It's a good, it's a nice business model. There are some doing it really well, and there are some that are utterly embarrassing. Um, uh, we've actually, we've, we've got one of our brands trading in, in arcade, um, food theater. And look, as a, as a model, as a customer, it's a, great, um, it's a great experience to be able to go in with a group of friends and someone goes and gets burger, someone gets pasta, someone gets... Um, uh, that said, I don't think it's going to take away from the experience of a restaurant. If you go onto our menu here, you know we have a, a large, all singing, all dancing, Italian um, uh, sort of selection of really interesting Italian food. We could not do that in a 200 square foot kiosk in a food market. So I think they can definitely exist alongside each other. The world is not only going to eat in food markets. 
um, there will be a couple of them that become really successful. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not a world that I'm planning to invest in in the in the near term. Okay, and presumably you would see that space becoming saturated at some point if there's so many uh, opening or pretty soon. Okay, yeah. would you see takeovers happening or buyouts yeah. or, or as always there yeah. will be consolidation. There will be a few big winners out of it. Um, so yeah, look, I I I like them. Um, there are some f really great examples around the world. Um, there's going to be too many of them quickly, and I'm sure we'll see some close. Okay. And another way, I guess, to test out the concept and to, to scale up a concept, at least mm. at the initial stages, um, are through the home delivery kitchens. Yep. Um, So-called dark kitchens, if you like. Mm -hmm. I know you traded there for a relatively short time. Yes. What's, I tried my luck. <laughs> what's your general opinion of that, 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 that way of doing it? Um, on paper, a phenomenal idea. And, and again, it, 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 there is clearly a shift to that. I use um, delivery regularly. Um, for some of our brands, it's incredibly, you know, Island Poke delivers very, very well. Um, I tried a dark kitchen. My, my grand idea was to put um, Italian, Chinese, and Indian into one unit. Um, you're essentially, you're very busy for a three hour window in the evening. But to get people to work in a in a soulless soulless quite horrible box somewhere in a car park in the middle of nowhere, you've got to pay chefs for nine hours a day, um, and you're and you've got to staff up each of the brands for three hours for the busy period, and the maths was never it was never going to make enough money to um, to be that exciting for me at the moment, um, and with the the issues of um, shortages of staff in London. It's much nicer to put chefs in a big open theatre kitchen like this, rather than in a horrible box in a car park. So, sure. we still use delivery. We're working on with our brands to um, develop different delivery methods, but it's not a core part of my strategy for the next you know, for, the, for the time being. Okay, and. Um, where do you see, I guess, the restaurant sector moving now in, in London and UK in terms of particular cuisines or concepts? Do you see breakthrough cuisines coming in the next couple of years? Or? Um, you know, I think there's, there's obviously very clear, very well-publicised trends of um, vegetarianism, veganism. That's only going to continue to grow. Um, uh, I think poke was one which which blew up and is now sort of starting to it's, it's clearly a stable choice that, that people are making for lunch um, you regularly see oh the next cuisine is going to be XYZ um, uh, for me uh, you know there's a few things I've, I've got my eye on but actually I think the interesting parts for me are things like technology and how you apply that and and sticking with stable 
obvious things Italian food, Chinese food, Indian food, we're not doing anything too clever or anything too new. It's just how you do that better and also how can we start working technology into that sure. in a better way. Sure. And I guess it's quite a challenge. Like, How do you determine if something is a fad mm. or a trend or something there for the long term? Like poke is a great example. And you got in, I guess, just as the wave was forming. Exactly. You rode that wave. Yeah. So is that a bit of a guessing game or is there um, some kind of calculations to that? Yeah. Look, I, I, I think the joy is again it comes from the traveling and, and, and I'd seen the um, on the west coast of the US poke's been around for a while yeah. and it's a real stable food offering there um, it was clear there was going to be this wave and I think um, uh, yeah it, it, with those you never know if it, if it is going to um, if it is going to stay but what what's been clear now is um, we're in the top one to five of, of poke is one of the top delivered items across anything in the likes of Deliveroo and Uber Eats, um, which clearly to me shows this is now around around to stay. Sure. Um, but yeah, the the first three months when we opened that, probably the first two months, literally no one came through the door. Well, there might have been, yeah, it was. It scary. was pretty. It was pretty scary. Yeah. But that's that's the joy of what I do is you, you have to take these these punts on the really early stage, sure. and that's where you create the value. Um, and uh, yeah, it was sort of December time where I was thinking, God, what do we what do we turn this site into? And then come January, the healthy eating of, of a new wave of people regretting what they'd done at Christmas. Um, started to find poke, and people came in and tasted the food and kept coming back. Um, and then it, it turned into this this huge success, and we're we're up to eight sites, and we've um, uh, we've just signed a, a big deal that'll that'll push us into into Europe um, quite rapidly. Uh, but yeah, it, from it's that's the that's okay. the risk that you take in in venture capital. Okay, very good. So it'd be great just to finish on um, whether you have any advice, I guess, in particular for people trying to get investment, for secure yeah. investment, and then trying to grow a brand um, and, and scale up a concept. Sure. Um, I mean, the starting the starting piece for if you're if you're looking for investment, um, the one thing you you I take it very personally that running a fund, you are you're looking after other people's money essentially um, uh, and if you're, if you're going to hand that out to someone they've really got to have done their homework and it is that that preparation in advance a good example earlier about yeah do they have to have built an all singing all dancing financial model no that's not expected and I don't want I don't want an, an investment pack that's 300 pages long but what I do want to have is, is someone who's at least tried and really understands their product and really put the effort in. Um, also because it's such a tough industry, they need to be able to prove that, that they've really done the work and they've put in the hours because as soon as you hand over that money, that's just the starting point. You know, sure. that's, that's day one of a really long, long relationship and a long journey. Sure. Um, would you recommend that people self-fund like as much as possible, or at what stage would you say go out to external funding? Well, no, I think I think you've got to show that you've put um, you've put something in. You've got to you've got to have something at risk. Mm. It keeps people honest and it keeps people excited about going to work. Um, 
uh, if people have come to me and said, I've got this great idea, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you the IP, can someone else go and set it up for me? That's always a very, very clear no. You want people to have put, now, but it, it differs on how much money people have got or what they're willing to, to give up. Someone recently with a concept that I really love, they, they don't have a huge amount of money to put in, but what they've done is they've gone, they, they've given up their job and they'd gone onto the street food markets to actually test it and gone, right, you know, I'm now, I'm fully invested in this and they're looking for the full funding from someone else. But yeah, showing that you've, you've put something in is, is really important. Sure. Showing that you're committed is really Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now that doesn't mean mortgage your house 100% and, and, and uh, yeah, you don't want people to be terrified of... Uh, <laughs> of yeah. Sure. I, it's a, a small bit of advice, but... When I, when I went out to do my startup business, um, I'd already done enough on the side, as in I had my little side company, I tested out that I knew there was demand, I knew there was, so there are many hours in the day, go and get that proof before you take any massive decisions. All of these um, Instagram business advisors who say, quit your job and go and chase the dream, no, don't. Sure. But you know what? When you finish at six or seven o'clock at night, this is this shows a bit about my working day. You can you can work till two o'clock in the morning. Sure. And you can do that every day of the week, and you can work Saturday and Sunday until you've got a pr the proof that that your business is exciting enough, and you can show that to someone, and then go, okay, now I can give up my day job. Sure, sure. So working hard. Many hours in the day yeah. to get that proof before you go. I'm leaving and I'm going to sure. risk everything. Very good, very good. Yeah. Good note to end on. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> That's great. It's been a pleasure, Chris. Thanks thank very you very much. much. Very informative and uh, interesting. So uh, great to have you here. I hope to see you again. Thank you. Okay, thanks Cheers. very much. Brilliant. Cheers.